Today's scripture reading is going to be found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. If you're using the uh, Pew Bible, it will be on page 1011. Matthew 5, 21 through 26 records, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Racha, which is answerable to the... Racha is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I'll tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is God's word. All right, we're in a new series, and I'm excited about it. Before we dive into that, I want to mention that uh, we're hoping that at the end of this week, by next Sunday, the first Sunday in December, that we'll have a, a new sign out front, and, and we'll be announcing along with that um, some other materials and, and some things like that. Uh, this kind of goes along with an update to our website and, and some updates just around here. And so you'll probably see, hopefully, some uh, a few things changing here and there. We'll have to get you a new pen. Uh, you know, your old pens, you'll have to chunk them. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyway, we're looking forward to that. This is a brand new series, Jesus Talks, based on kind of the you know, concept of TED Talks, if you're familiar with that at all. If you thought this looked a little familiar, that's maybe where you saw it before. Um, ideas worth spreading. How many of you, you know, we're almost, I just said, December starts next week. So, um, or this coming week. So, how many of you would be brave enough in this church to raise your hand and say that you believe that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Look at that. A bunch of brave people. Uh, if you believe, uh, put it up again if you believe he was the Son of God. Okay. Well, good. Then I'm going to tell you something else that you believe and you may not have even realized that you believed it. Then you believe that the fullness of God's wisdom, the wisest person and smartest person to ever live, was born about 2,000 years ago. The funny thing is, though, if I would have polled you this last week, or maybe not me because I'm your pastor, but let's say somebody polled you and said, who is the wisest person to have ever lived, what would you have answered? Uh, you know, maybe, yeah, if you were a, kind of a Bible person, maybe Solomon, uh, maybe you would have thought smart like Einstein, or maybe you would have thought Confucius, I don't know, <laughs> Socrates, all these people that we think of as extraordinarily wise somehow, some, sometimes, get on the list before Jesus. The very Word of God who took on flesh and lived amongst us. And Jesus himself said, if you thought Solomon was something, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's my paraphrase. Jesus 
the living embodied Word of God, the wisdom of God incarnate in flesh, dwelt among us. And he taught. You know, oftentimes we think of Jesus primarily as our Savior, but he was teacher first. And his apostles and his disciples who walked with him knew him as teacher. And he taught them. And thankful for their eyewitness records, we can be taught by him as well in the Gospels and through the writings of his apostles. As they bear out what he taught us to, how he taught us to live and, and how he taught us to be and, and what he taught us to think about and, and, and how to be transformed by his spirit in our hearts and in our minds. There is a better way a better way to live, a better way to think, a better way to interact with each other, a, a better way to do attitude and mood, and uh, just a better way. And you can live it. He taught it, but, but you can live it because His Spirit is still alive and at work amongst us. The, the complete wisdom of God in spirit form will dwell in you and amongst us and teach us to live this better way. The ideas that Jesus put forth were more than just good ideas. They're certainly ideas worth spreading because they are and they represent a better way to live. We're going to look at various passages from what's often called the Sermon on the Mount, a collection of teachings from Jesus. And as we do so, I want you to keep in mind that what we're looking at are, are not just a new set of moral commands, but a, a whole new way of being human. Jesus said that this new way is available to everyone. Especially, it is picked up on by people who the world would think least likely to get anything special, right? The lowly, the meek, those who are persecuted, those who are getting the short end of the stick seem to find it first rather than those with the most power and wealth and strength and confidence in their own abilities. He said that the people who embrace this way of life, they're like salt and they're like light. And we want to be salt and we want to be light. He said he didn't come to do away with the law but to fulfill it. And in his death and his resurrection, he put an end to the old covenant and made a way for us to live in a newness of life with him that's not a legalistic way of life, that's not constantly trying to modify your behavior, but is instead trying to modify who you are to transform you from the inside out, to think and feel and be in new ways. And that work begins when you come to Christ and His Spirit begins working in you. It begins at baptism and it ends someday in the resurrection. But all along the way, we're on this journey with God, being made new from the inside out. And we're going to look at some of Jesus' ideas about what it looks like to truly live as humans, to live the way that God, our designer, designed us to live good and better ways. And the first topic we're addressing today is anger. Ever deal with anger? 
A lot of people think that anger is a sin, and it's probably because they read what Jesus had to say about it. Really, the Bible seems to communicate that what we do in anger often ends up being sin. We should be careful. But let's look at what Jesus had to say about anger. First, I want to tell you, show you this picture. You'll think I'm adorable. Look at this. This is me in Las Cruces, New Mexico with my dog, Bootsy. Because she's got boots, you see. <laughs> I love that dog, and that dog loved me. But you know what? Sometimes she made me really mad. And I kind of had a temper sometimes as a kid. And, and I remember this was one of the times that, that maybe I kind of started coming to grips with the fact that I needed to learn some self-control. <laughs> I was... Uh, trying to feed the dog all right and I, all I had to do was pour dog food out of this pitcher that we used to, for dog food into Bootsy's bowl so she could eat it but she made me mad I don't remember exactly what happened and I guess I thought I would punish her by delaying her meal or something so I turned around I was gonna storm off and somehow I dropped the pitcher of dog food on the driveway and that just made me even angrier right I'm just furious at this point so what do I do in my anger I kick the pitcher of dog food bad enough to drop it now it is everywhere <laughs> everywhere so nothing teaches self-control like a broom <laughs> and some time and as I cooled off and realized how stupid that was started realizing, you know, that maybe this anger thing should get under control a little bit. Do you ever deal with anger in your life? Some people we say are angry people, but really all of us deal with anger about something in some way. We express it differently perhaps. Uh, we may be triggered by different things. You know, a dog may not drive you crazy ever. Uh, it may be your spouse. <laughs> it may be your car or more likely the car in front of you or behind you that just is a little too close we all have different triggers and things that make us irate and angry and, and sometimes our anger seems to get the best of us and we behave in ways that we know are anything but Christ like uh, certainly not the way that we were designed to live by our creator in our anger, sin often gets the best of us. So let's explore what Jesus had to say about anger. And as we study, I just want to reiterate, don't read Jesus' words as a new form of legalism. Jesus died and rose again to free us from that mentality. It's about a new way of being, thinking, feeling, and, and it's something that will require great effort from you. But it will never be done by your effort alone. And so read this with that understanding. That Jesus is, is not giving you a new and higher bar to try and jump over. Or a new and smaller hoop to try and jump through. He's pointing the way to a new way of being and living that happens by his power as we pursue him with all of our hearts. Second off, 
keep in mind that Jesus often, almost always, in some way, uses hyperbole, which is a, a tool of exaggeration, to make his point all the more clear. And this was a common thing in his day that teachers would do, maybe less common these days. Uh, we like things to be very black and white and straightforward and encyclopedic, especially if it's important. But that's kind of unique to us and uh, our Western culture and, and not to most of the world. And so, bear those two things in mind as we dive in and look at some of what Jesus had to say. Matthew 5 verse 21 said, You have heard it said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. This is one of the Ten Commandments, right? When Jesus spoke these words to his Jewish audience, every one of them had heard that command from the time that they were knee-high you know, knee to a grasshopper. So, uh, from birth, this had been recited and recited, and they knew the Ten Commandments like the back of their hand. They knew the story of Cain and Abel. And they knew that they should not murder. But they believed that as long as they did not physically throttle someone to death, that they were righteous with regard to this law. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. So he begins by saying, calling to mind, here's something we all know. And even today, we still all know this. You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. This is still true. In 21st century America, if you go and kill somebody, the police hunt you down, and they take you to court, and you go to jail, or maybe worse. But, I tell you, Jesus says, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Wait a second. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But Jesus says, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. To clarify, he says, again, anyone who says to a brother or, or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. These are three parallels. Judgment, answerable to the court, in danger of the fire of hell. Those are actually three things that are all in the same vein, in the same, uh, you know, we get thrown off by the fire of hell like Jesus just took it to a whole new level there. It's like judgment, court, hell. <laughs> but the actual word there is Gehenna. And perhaps you've been here when we've talked about this before. It often gets translated, more often than not, as hell in, the, in our gospel translations. But the actual word is Gehenna, and it was referred to a specific place outside the gates of Jerusalem, uh, where it was a refuge heap, but it, refuse heap, but it was also uh, a place where the bodies of criminals who were executed in judgment, whether beheaded or you know beaten to death or crucified, if they were criminals who were killed for their crimes more often than not they were thrown into Gehenna and eventually burned 
you know, for the sake of, uh, you know, hygiene and sanitation. Unceremoniously dumped. And in the Jew's mind, that's accursed. That's, you're not going to take part in the resurrection. There's no saving your bones and putting them in an ossuary and setting them there amongst your family to await the resurrection as was their custom. You're just dumped out in a field of trash. And so Jesus is actually walking through the steps of, like if you murdered someone, you'd face judgment. You'd be answerable to the court. If they found you guilty, you'd be executed and cast out in the field where the criminals go. And Jesus is drawing parallels back to murder and the consequences for murder. And throughout this teaching of Jesus, he keeps saying it's not about just crossing your T's and dotting your I's. It's not about just getting by by making sure you don't cross this line in the Ten Commandments. The law serves a much deeper purpose than that. There's a, have you ever heard the, the term like the, the spirit of the law? That there's a, like when you're a parent and you make a rule and your kid finds a way around it, right? Then you know, like, okay, they didn't get the spirit of my rule there. <laughs> they didn't get the, the heart behind it. They didn't understand kind of the purpose of it. They're, you know, technically obeying the rule, but in their hearts, they're far from it. Well, God's law, there's a, there's a heart behind it. A spirit behind it. The law, you, you know, you're never going to get right with God by following all the rules that you can possibly follow that have been written down. They can never write enough rules for you just to behave perfectly and be right with God and with others. The law is, is meant to be more like a signpost pointing the way. The law can never be lived out and rightness with God can never be found by works. It's found by faith. A faith journey that, that knows that, okay, what's God trying to tell me here? How should I then live my life? How should I think and feel and interact with others? And Jesus dives deeper into these laws that they were familiar with, and starting with murder, and saying, no, it, it goes deeper than that. And he d deals with that, you know, what we do to each other in anger. How we treat each other. If you think that murder is the only way to steal life, to ruin and break relationships, you know, talk to families who haven't spoken to each other in decades because of anger over what this person did or what that person said. Raka, just a, from what commentaries can gather of it, a, almost a profane insult. It's showing contempt. Contempt goes hand in hand with anger. We sometimes ask, you know, about profanity. 
in our legalistic mindset, we're like, can I say this word or that word? Would it be okay if I said, uh, you know, that's technically a three-letter word, not a four-letter word. Um, you know, is that all right? And the thing about anything profane, and you see that Jesus was uh, familiar with their four-letter words too. You notice that? Four letters. It's always four letters, almost. The thing about those words is they are, by their very definition in nature, words that a society has said are profane, meaning that they defile what is sacred or they show contempt for something. Just food for thought. As you think about you know, what is good for me to say and what's not good for me to say if I'm trying to live like Jesus. But they show contempt, and in doing so, they steal life, they ruin relationships, they break down society. They mix anger with contempt, and they say, you fool. Seems like kind of a silly thing to say. I don't know, we don't say, you fool, anymore. You know, it's more like a Shakespearean thing. <laughs> we have our own ways, don't we, of mixing anger with contempt of showing people that they're beneath us. Jesus said these, this, this sort of heart is a murderous heart. This sort of thinking is a murderous way of thinking. See, murder, whether with hands or with heart, always steals life. If you're filling out a note card, uh, that's your cue. Murder, whether with hands or with heart, always steals life. Jesus gives some examples. You know, he says, say your you're at the altar and about to offer a sacrifice, which for them, you know, is a sacred ritual. I'm not sure what the best equivalent would be for us. Maybe you're here and you're about to take communion, the Lord's Supper. Maybe you're at a wedding, a, a holy moment. There's something you're about to do or be a part of that's worshiping God. And you stop and you say, hang on. I'm still holding bitterness. There's anger between me and my brother or my sister in Christ. I need to go make that right first. And Jesus describes this person going out, dropping everything, leaving their sacrifice at the altar, and going and being reconciled to their brother or sister in Christ, and then coming back to worship God. Is this a new law that Jesus is putting forth that every time you come to church, if there's someone you're mad at, drop everything right then, go make it right, then you can come back. I don't care if they live in Texas. Get to going. Jesus isn't offering a new brand of legalism. He's giving you an example 
of how kingdom people live and think. Consider for a moment. Think about the character, the thought life, the attitudes and the choices of the kind of person who would regularly be willing to drop everything in a sacred moment and go and pursue reconciliation with someone else. Consider what kind of character they might have, what kind of thought life and attitudes and choices might characterize someone who would always be ready to do that. But Jesus said, this goes beyond just your brothers and sisters in Christ. This goes beyond family. Let's say that you're on your way to court with someone who's suing you. Maybe you're suing them. Maybe they're accusing you of a crime or maybe you're accusing them of a crime. If possible, he said, settle with them outside of court. Just go and try and make things right. Now notice, he doesn't say, uh, just get run over. He says, pursue peace outside of court. And obviously, uh, this would be a wise course of action because you never know what's going to happen once you get in court with something, do you? I mean, even in our awesome judicial system with due process and all that that most of the world throughout the ages has never even heard of. I mean, in Jesus' day, you went to court, you went before a judge or magistrate, and so did they. You might have somebody speak up for you, and they might have somebody speak up for them, and then that guy's going to decide. <laughs> Good luck. Better hope he's not friends with that guy's daddy. <laughs> Who knows what will happen once you get there. Like You may be innocent. And you end up guilty of a crime in the eyes of the law. Go, from a, just a practical standpoint, go and try to make it right. But just beyond that, as a way of living, as a, as a better way of life, as a better way of being human, be the sort of people who are always trying to make peace instead of angrily trying to get your way or trying to get one up on the other guy or trying to get revenge in your anger. Lay your anger aside. Go and try to make it right. Think about the character, the thought life, the attitudes and choices of the kind of person who would rather pursue peace than escalate a fight, even when the world would say they would have every right to do so. Even when the world would say, you have every right to sue them for every last dime that they have. Consider the kind of character and thought life and attitudes and choices of the kind of person who would rather pursue justice in a peaceful way and in a life-giving way than in a vengeful way, in an angry way.
Again, don't mess this up by getting all legalistic with it again. Jesus' whole point is don't make this legalistic. If you make it legalistic, you're going to stick with do not murder and you're going to say, I haven't killed anybody today, I'm doing good. Jesus' whole point is that it goes deeper than that. So don't make a new brand of legalism out of Jesus' examples that he gives. You know, the wrong sort of questions are uh, things like, should I always leave a worship service if I'm not feeling happy with somebody? Or what if they refuse to settle out of court? Or what if it's not even actually technically going to court, but it's kind of like that? Don't worry with all that. Consider what kind of character, what kind of attitude, what kind of thought life does a person have who would do that sort of thing? And pursue that through the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Jesus is pointing the way towards wisdom, towards life, towards a better way. It will require much of you to pursue it. In fact, it will require more than you have to pursue it. But His Spirit is ready and available to empower you to pursue it. So I want to ask you today, is there someone in your family, whether your family of faith or your family of kinfolk and blood relatives, with whom you need to get right? With whom you need to set aside anger and be reconciled? Now you're one side of an equation. This isn't about whether or not you manage to get reconciled to someone or not. This is about you pursuing that with them. I understand that it takes two people to be reconciled. But as far as it's up to you, prayerfully discern how you can best live this truth out. How you can best set aside anger and pursue reconciliation. That may not mean calling them every day until you pester them to death. <laughs> every relationship is unique. Every situation is unique. Jesus didn't offer you a formula. But he taught you a better way. Pursue it by his spirit. Pursue it in prayer. Is there, beyond family and kinfolk and church family, is there some adversary with whom you need to bury the hatchet. To lay down your right to get even. So there's someone whom you view as an enemy and you just need to let that go and pursue reconciliation of some kind. That may not mean that you're going to be best buddies tomorrow, but that you get past this, ang this anger that, that you could cut with a knife in the room, right? And that's affecting your relationship with others and with God and just the environment wherever that is taking place. You know, your anger with someone else affects other people as well. Consider what Jesus was saying. You know, how funny that we might would come and worship or in his day come and bring an offering an altar to, to the altar 
to be right with God when we're not even willing to get right with our fellow man. And so Jesus points us to a better way. To finish up, I, I was just thinking about the Gospels and how, where else this kind of teaching played out. And I ended up thinking about a few guys in the Gospels that were kind of hotheads. There was a guy that, that Jesus called to be one of his inner circle of disciples named Simon, and probably not the one you were thinking of. Uh, this guy was Simon the Zealot. And these guys were hotheads. <laughs> they were angry people. Angry, maybe for a just reason, but still living in their anger, especially towards Rome and Roman oppression. And they believed the best ways forward were violent ways forward. This guy was one of them. Simon the Zealot. A hothead. And Jesus called him to be one of his inner circle of disciples. Or there was another guy he called to be one of his inner circle of disciples uh, named Simon Peter. Probably the one you were thinking of the first time. And we know probably more about Peter than we know about a lot of those disciples and, and he was a hothead, right? I mean, one minute, Jesus is giving him a pat on the back, good job, Peter. The next minute he's saying, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Peter was a little bit of a hothead. He's the guy that lashes out with a sword and cuts somebody's ear off and Jesus is saying, stop it. <laughs> you know, a little bit of a hothead. Then there were brothers that Jesus had in his inner circle. They were called the sons of thunder. All right. <laughs> I, that probably says something about their daddy, <laughs> but it certainly says something about them. Uh, these are the guys that when, when they came through a town and they were doing this vibrant ministry there and the town did not respond well to Jesus at all, they said, Jesus, let's call down fire. <laughs> Consume the whole lot of them, right? Hotheads. You think they were a little mad? Like, let's reenact Sodom and Gomorrah right here, Jesus. Let's go. <laughs> These are the guys that Jesus called to be in his inner circle. And these are the ones who laid down their anger and took up his law of love and took the gospel forward to the first generation ever. And these are the ones who, rather than taking up their sword and going down in a blaze of glory as they had probably envisioned before they met Jesus. You know that moment where you're in front of the mirror and playing out your greatest moments of triumph over your enemies. They didn't probably have very good mirrors, but I'm sure that they... <laughs> I'm sure the sons of thunder enacted it on each other probably at times. Probably not how they envisioned it going. One of the sons of thunder, James, is believed to be the first of the apostles to be martyred for preaching the gospel. And he laid down his life as his Savior had laid down his. He didn't lash out in anger. He didn't cry out about the injustice of it all. 
The Jesus way is a better way. And you can live it. This isn't pie in the sky. Idealism that, that you know, maybe Jesus can do, but nobody else can do it. Look at the transformation in his disciples. Real people. Real hotheads. Probably angrier than you. I don't know. Maybe you'd give them a run for your, their money. But transformed by the teachings and the power of Jesus through his Holy Spirit to live a new and better way. So today as we talk about anger and what Jesus had to say about it, remember that murder, whether it's murderous hands or a murderous heart, always steals life. But there's a better way. The Jesus way. Pursue it with all you have. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your kingdom life and its availability to everyone. Not just to the elites or to the best equipped. God, we confess our anger and our contempt. God, we live in a, in a divided nation. We know your world that you lived in was divided as well when Jesus was on earth. We know that, but today we live in a nation greatly divided over political divides and cultural divides and racial divides and you name it. There's a lot of hate and a lot of anger. It spills forth into our streets and certainly on social media. Holy Spirit, change our hearts and our minds. Transform our character and our thinking and our feeling. Lead us into the life you created us for. Help us to be people who pursue reconciliation, who pursue peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.